there we go. Good morning. So uh, we are starting a new series today called American Idols. Um, and I'm new to town. You may know that. I just moved here uh, a few weeks ago. I've been having a hard time finding a few things. Uh, Google Maps hasn't been helpful. Uh, I, I'm not sure where your temple to Jupiter is. Any, anybody? Can, can you help me find that? Nobody? No temples? Or Baal, maybe? Y'all Baal people? No? Okay. No, see, so, so uh, this, this commandment that we just heard, right, don't have any other gods before me, we may go, well, I think we got that handled, right? There's no, no temples uh, to Jupiter, no temples to Baal, uh, we don't have to drive, drive by that. Um, and yet, there is some, some element to this idea of idolatry that is still crucial to where we live today, uh, and, and in some ways it's even more um, tricky because it's not quite as obvious as that. We don't have temples, uh, we don't have carved images in our homes that we might bow down to or light incense to, uh, and so because of that we may think, oh, we've got this idolatry problem licked, why are we having a sermon series on it? Um, well, we don't always have those things licked. Sometimes they're sneaky, sometimes they're tricky. Uh, they show up in ways that don't look like they used to look. If you've ever had the opportunity to travel uh, to ancient parts of the world and see ancient ruins of ancient temples, it's really a fascinating journey um, because you walk around and you see these massive structures with pillars in front of them and very imposing sort of buildings that are the center of the community. You can tell, like the whole community is, is built around these places of worship to false idols. And while we don't have temples to Jupiter or Baal, um, it is interesting some of the way that our architecture, as, as even Americans, uh, mimics some of this ancient architecture that's centered around temples. Um, a lot of our banks, frankly, uh, with big pillars and, and steps up to them, you know, as banks used to look very um, temple-like. Uh, most of our communities now are centered around areas of entertainment, whether those are football stadiums or basketball arenas or places where concerts are held. Uh, if you, if you kind of use your imagination and think like a thousand years from now, if our civilization collapses and archaeologists are looking around uh, trying to figure out what our lives were about, what would they find at the center of our communities? Uh, what sort of institutions, what sort of buildings, what sort of things, or maybe in our own homes, uh, what sort of things, if, they, if, if archaeologists a thousand years from now are looking at the structure of your house and kind of trying to figure out, you know, what was central to these people? Um, because that's what we do to ancient people. We look around their houses and we go, oh, you know, they built their living rooms around these shrines. Um, we build our living rooms around these flat boxes we stick to the, to the wall. Uh, and, and, and it does reveal something about, about our culture, about how we operate, about the things that we value and put at the top of our list of values. Uh, and so the point is, is that we as human beings, um, we are worshipers. You are going to worship something. Uh, it doesn't matter to me if, if you believe in God in, in a traditional sense or not. I, I promise you, as a human being, you're going to worship something. We are worshipers. We will form idols out of all kinds of things. Uh, we just can't help ourselves. We, we are built to do that. Uh, there's a, a, a tremendous um, postmodern author named David Foster Wallace. Some of you may be familiar with him. Uh, but he was a, a brilliant author, um, 
committed suicide several years ago. Um, not a believer as far as I know in any sort of official religious uh, uh, position. And yet he gave a, um, a commencement address uh, at a, a graduation ceremony, uh, really weeks or just months before he took his own life. And it's actually a fascinating speech to go read. I'm just going to quote to you a, a section of it. Um, people speculate on how much this speech was in, in his thoughts whenever he, he went on to end his life tragically. Um, but I do think it's, it's helpful. This is not, again, the quote I'm about to read you is not from a theologian. This is from an author named uh, David Foster Wallace. He says, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. It's a fascinating statement that I think he was absolutely true, absolutely correct uh, in making that statement. We will worship something. Uh, and that's why verse 4 in the passage that you heard uh, is so interesting. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in earth beneath or in the waters below. We can make an idol out of anything. That's what we do as human beings. We, we are just constructed in a way that we have to point our worship towards something, and we're going to find that something in anything. And it can be difficult for us to know, you know, what are the idols in our lives? If I were to ask you that, what are the idols in your life? You know, I, I don't know. Like, I think I worship God, right? Like, I hope that's, that's the thing that I worship. It's hard to answer that question directly. So it's helpful sometimes to think about uh, this question in a different way. And, and I really want you to think about the answer to this question. What if you lost it would threaten your will to live? I know that's a chipper question to ask on a, on a Sunday morning. <laughs> but it really is a very important question. Because I think we all have things, if we were honest with ourselves, if we, were, if we sat down and thought about it, and we said, man, if I lost this relationship, if I lost this person, if I lost this career, if I lost my home, I would have a really hard time finding the will to wake up the next morning and keep going. And some of us have experienced losing those very things, and we've been through dark places. I know I have, and, and sometimes those dark times expose the idols that we actually cling to in our day-to-day -day lives. It's an it's a important question for us if we're going to take following Jesus seriously. We need to regularly ask ourselves, what if I lost it would, would threaten my will to keep going? What are those things that I hold at the highest value in my life? And really, that's what this whole series is going to help us uh, try to identify some of those specific things uh, tear those idols down, and then hopefully also provide you with tools to build up your worship of God in, in the appropriate place, in its appropriate place in your life. Because this isn't just a, a, an idol commandment. A little play on words there. God isn't just saying this to make himself feel better. I don't want you to have any other gods. He's not insecure. It's actually a very crucial aspect of our lives as human beings. And so I want to I start and really just kind of kick off this whole series with a, a definition of an idol so that we all know what we're talking about. So an idol 
is anything other than God seen as the source of your security, significance, and or satisfaction? Okay? So an idol is anything other than the triune God that we come here to worship, anything other than him that we see in our lives that we actually think of as the source of our security, our significance, or our sense of satisfaction. So I want you to think about about those three words uh, for a minute. So security. The question of security is where do you turn when you need to feel okay? When, when you feel insecure, what direction do you look to kind of even things out again, to make you feel like you're on solid footing again in your life? When your life starts to get shaky, what do you turn to? I know some people, I know people who, will, who have told me in the past, who said, honestly, like when I start to feel insecure, I'll open up my, my banking app on my phone and just see how much money I got there. And I kind of go, oh, I'm okay, Right? See, that's, that's the question of security. What is it that makes you feel okay? What is it that, that adds some stability to your situation? Think about those things that you, not the things you're supposed to turn to, okay, <laughs> but the things you actually turn to to provide some security in your life. What about significance? Significance is what gives your life value, what makes you feel like your life counts. What are the things that you look to, 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 you know, to point at to go, my life actually matters because of X, Y, or Z? Again, I've known people who go, you know, honestly, like my business card with my title on it and a little plaque on my desk gives me value. Some people, when I look at my kids and think I've got to raise them, that's what gives me value. See, these are important, deep questions that we need to think about because this is where idols can rise up in our lives. And the last one is satisfaction. What brings you fulfillment? What makes you happy? What are the things in your life that make you happy? What are the things in your life that bring you fulfillment? What are the things that you just really enjoy doing? Uh, those are those are seed beds where idols can grow up in our lives and we don't even recognize it. We don't even know it. Now, it's important to understand a few things about this. So, so again, I, I want us to look at, at verse 3 because this is important. In verse 3, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Okay, now there's a lot of speculation about what this means. Were, were, the, were the Israelite people actually monotheists? Did they believe in other gods or, or not? I don't think that's really the point here. What he's saying is these things that provide you with security, significance, satisfaction, these aren't necessarily bad things, right? You think your career is not necessarily a wicked thing. Being a parent is not a bad thing. Having money is not a bad thing. These are not evil things in and of themselves. The problem is we put them before God. And that's the tricky part. Most of us, like I said, we don't have niches carved into our walls where we have idols set up that we burn incense to. If you are doing that, please come talk to me uh, because we need to have a conversation. And most of us, if we're honest, our idols, we're not, we're not in danger of, of making evil things our idols. 
We're not in danger of making sinful things our idols. The most dangerous thing for us is taking good things and making them best things. And that's why our definition for, for an idol is anything other than God seen as the source of your security, significance, and satisfaction. See, it's not bad to look at your kids and go, they bring me some satisfaction. In fact, that's good. If your kids don't bring you satisfaction, that's troubling, right? <laughs> and some of your kids may not all of the time, right? <laughs> it happens. But on the whole, you go, you know, this is good. I'm, I'm happy with being a parent and these children, they, they bring me some fulfillment in my life. That's good. The issue is, do we follow that creek bed of fulfillment all the way back to its source and realize that God is the ultimate source of all of these other things? We can have good things in our lives. We can enjoy those good things. We should pursue those good things. The tricky part of idolatry is we don't follow them all the way back to the source. And we start making those things the primary things that we live for. The primary things in which we put our trust. The primary things that in reality we end up worshiping. And if we were to lose them, we would say everything is lost. That's the tricky part with idolatry. And so when God says, don't have any, any other gods before me, he's saying, don't let the, the creeks represent the source for you. Follow them back to me. Don't put them before me. You can have good things, just don't put them in front of me. There are many things that can provide you with security, significance, and satisfaction. They're not all bad things. They can be very good things. The problem is that we don't put them where they need to be. The problem is, is that we do not, we, we tend to turn good things into best things. Don't turn good things into the best thing. That's what we have to watch out for. That's where we have to be careful. Um, because when we make those things the source, our lives actually get very, uh, um, the, the foundation for our lives starts to crumble a little bit because then we get very insecure about those things that we care the most about. Have you ever noticed that? This is, this is a, a tricky thing about us human beings. If, we, if you make your job the thing that the source of all your security and significance and satisfaction, you start becoming terrified that you might lose it. And you will do anything to keep it. And you may end up sacrificing your family on the altar of your career because, you know, I, I don't know who I am if I were to lose this thing. And the second we put anything in God's place, we start to worry about losing it. If you put your, your looks and how beautiful you are in God's place, what do you start to do immediately? You start to notice all your flaws. Everything that you thought was wonderful about you, you start to notice problems with it. You hyper-focus on all of the issues. See, as soon as we put anything in God's place, the whole foundation of our lives starts to get pretty shaky because we become very insecure about those things that we hold on to. And in fact, we become slaves to them. This is why God frames this whole thing. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. See, idolatry is really about slavery. 
And what David Foster Wallace was getting at in, in the quote I read to you earlier is he recognized, like, and, and if, if you go and read the whole speech, he, he really starts, to, he pulls out some great truths where he says that, you know, if you focus on, on the talent that you have and you go, man, I'm the best guitar player in the world, and you start focusing on, on being a terrific musician, it's only a matter of time before that thing starts to actually devour you. It starts to consume everything in your life, and everything else starts to fall by the wayside. And before you know it, you, you have become a slave to that fame or to that fortune or to whatever it is in your life or to that, that one relationship that you go, man, if, if he just loved me this way, then everything would be fixed. And you start to, to destroy everything else around you. It consumes everything else in your life. Whatever you worship will devour you. That's what we have to understand about worship. Whatever we put at the top of our lives will devour our lives. And so we have to be very careful about what we put there because it's going to happen. We will become a slave to those things that we believe are the most important. If it's money, if it's your career, if it's beauty, if it's a relationship, those things will start to chip away at the rest of our lives. And we have to be very careful about that. Um, it is an interesting uh, situation that we find ourselves in with, with the Ten Commandments. This is the first one that God gives, the first commandment. Everything else sort of flows out of this. Jesus picks up this idea, I think, in, in Matthew chapter 6. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else that you worry about will be ordered under that. And that's really the question of idolatry is ordering our loves properly, keeping our loves in the proper order, keeping God at the very top as the source of all the other good things. It helps keep all the other good things in their proper place because my ultimate source of security is not in my bank account or my job or my relationships, the ultimate source of my security is God. Is this God who says, you are mine. I am claiming you. You are my child. I heard a, a mentor of mine say one time that if God is who he says he is, then this world is a perfectly safe place for you to be. And, and he, wanted you to, he wanted me to get that into my bones, not just into my head. Because very often when I, I travel around or I do things, I find myself in circumstances where I go, ooh, this is dangerous. I could, I could be in trouble here. And, and his point was, you know, if God is in control and God loves you as much as he says he does, then this world... Even with all of its evil and scary stuff that's out there, don't deny the reality of those things. But this world actually is a perfectly safe place for you to be. That's a powerful thought that if we believe it, you know, I heard one of my friends in this conversation say, I can believe that in my head, but whenever I'm like up on a ladder and trying to climb down, the palms of my hands don't believe it. They get sweaty. And that's the question, right? How, how do I get the palms of my hands to believe that? How do I get my, my mind to really chew on that? Because the source of my security isn't 
anything other than God and his love for me, the source of my satisfaction, the joy I find in life. Where can that come from? Because whatever I put there is going to devour me. So if it's God and God devours you, God consumes you, well, then that doesn't sound so bad. (laughs) That doesn't sound so scary. If my satisfaction, if my security, if my significance comes from the fact that Jesus loves me as much as he said he did, that the reason my life has value is because I'm created in the image of God, and God loved me so much that even though I was a sinner, he sent his son to die in my place, that's an expression of love that has already been stamped across history, that I can look at that and go, my life really does have some value then regardless of any of the other circumstances in my life. And when that consumes you, when that thought becomes the foundation for your security, your significance, your satisfaction, what can touch you? What can come after you and make any real significant difference? That's why this is such an important idea. It's not just a commandment that God throws out there because he feels insecure about himself. He goes, I don't want you to worship. Just worship me. God's not like that. God is saying, I want you to do this because it's good for you. It's the only thing that you can worship that's going to be good for you. Anything else you put in my place will destroy you. Nothing else in this world is, is strong enough to uphold all of the security, significance, and satisfaction that we need as human beings. If you think of it as, I, I have this image in my head sometimes, like a, a hook that you hang a coat on or a, a bag on or something, and you think, all the weight of my soul is in this bag, and if I hang it on my job, is my job going to be able to hold it up? If I hang it on my family, is my family going to be able to hold it up? Because two things happen in that, in that illustration. One is, is in danger of falling because it's very heavy. I put it all the weight of it on that. But it's also in danger. I put all of the weight of my soul on my family. How does that make my family feel? How does that make my spouse feel? That's a weight too big for them to carry. And they will be crushed under the weight of your idolatry of them. It's a, it's a very tricky thing, and you'll end up hating the things you once loved because your love of the guitar consumed you. And now you think, if I don't play it, I don't know who I am anymore, so I've got to do it whether I want to or not. This is why God puts this commandment first, because this is what's good for us as human beings. It's good for our relationships to not make our relationships our God. So if we do... It'll crush them. But we have to be very careful of what we put in God's place. God is not being selfish here. And this is the reason for this this little piece of the passage. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I'm a jealous God. In our day and age, this is maybe the most controversial attribute of God. There's a lot of controversial characteristics of God, but, but I've heard a lot of people go, how, can, how is it that God can be jealous and I am not supposed to be? Well, you're not God. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the simple answer. God is the one being in the universe that has a right to be jealous because his jealousy is actually good for us. 
He's saying, I want you to worship me and nothing else. Not just for my sake. God doesn't need us to worship him. He's completely content in and of himself. He's saying this so that we can have a healthy and robust and happy and fulfilled life because he is the source. He is jealous for us. His, God's jealousy is, is not him being selfish. See, God knows that if you put anything else at the top of your life, it'll destroy you and it'll let you down at the end. So he's saying, put me at the top of your life. I'm jealous for you. The jealousy of God, God's jealousy is a jealousy of love. It's a jealousy of love. It's a jealousy of exclusivity because it's a jealousy of love. That's why it's such a hard thing for our culture. We don't like this exclusive God who says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Our culture goes, ah, that's so narrow. And God goes, no, no, this is not narrow. (laughs) This is what opens up the whole rest of your life if you get this one piece right. Because with this one piece right, everything else becomes such a beautiful option for you that you can enjoy your family and your career and all your resources and your beauty and your talent. You can enjoy all of that to its fullest extent because it's not going to destroy you as long as I am first. As long as you don't let it come first, you can take it to its maximum limits. But if you put it first, it'll destroy you. So put me first. Let me be the source. And let me show you just how beautiful all these things can be. That's why God's jealousy is actually good for us. And so there's a few simple things that I think we we might be able to do, you know, to keep God in his proper place. It's, It's really a discipline. And one thing I've done for a long time is I've, before, like as soon as I wake up in the morning, before I let my feet hit the ground, like that's the thought. I've got to do this before I let my feet hit the ground, as I've just got to put God, keep God really at the top and just a quick prayer of, of saying, God, I want to honor you and keep you at the top. I've got a thousand tasks, because that's what happens to me at least. The first thing I do when I wake up, as soon as my eyes open, like all the things I've got to do start coming in. And so I've got to stop in that moment and go, God, God, all of those things, I want to order them in accordance with your value being first. And then you show me what I need to do next. And it, it really does, the battle really does begin for me at least as soon as I wake up. As if I wake up late and go, oh man, I just got to go. All of a sudden, all those other emergencies, all those other things that are demanding priority, they take priority. And I'll get through maybe my whole day before I lay down at night and go, man, I didn't, I didn't put God at the top of any of that. I was just trying to get my tasks done. And I was a slave to all of those things. And so there, there's, it's just a simple thing. It's, it's not rocket science. It's just decide. Before I let my feet hit the ground, I'm going to say a prayer and put God at the top. Um, this, whole, this whole passage, this whole Exodus story actually is filled with wedding language in, in Hebrew. It's actually really fascinating. Um, and so the picture of, of the people of Israel through the Exodus story and God is a picture of an ancient Near Eastern wedding. 
Um, and so you can picture a wedding ceremony. And the Ten Commandments are sort of like our vows in our wedding ceremony, where someone stands up and says, here's what I'm going to do. Here's the way it's going to be. That's what the vows are supposed to be, is, is, this, is this is the ideal situation. Here's, here's my goal for our relationship. The Ten Commandments kind of work that way, where God is saying, here's how I want to lay out our relationship. And if you know the story, how many of you are familiar with the Exodus story and the Ten Commandments? You know, you might not. You remember what happens right after Moses gets the Ten Commandments? And he goes down the mountain, and what are the people doing? Already they're breaking the first one. <laughs> Already they've, they've created a golden calf, and they're worshiping that golden calf. They're worshiping an idol. And so Moses gets frustrated, clearly, like I would. Like, oh, guys, come on. This is the first one. We're in the middle of the wedding ceremony, and you're already committing adultery. That's, that's the picture. I don't want to be crass about that, but, but imagine a wedding ceremony where that happened, where the groom turned around and the bride's making out with one of the groomsmen. And you go, I've been to some weddings where some things have gone wrong. That's never happened. What would you do if that happened? I, as the minister, I would go, okay, I think, I think we just need to stop. We might need to rethink this whole thing. And that's, that's the crazy thing, because that's basically what happens here. And what does God do? God tells them they did wrong. There was some punishment for that. And then he says, all right, let's keep the ceremony going. Not giving up on this yet. And so... That picture, I think, is encouraging because this, this topic and everything we're going to be looking at over this whole series will have a tendency, I think, at least I have, just looking forward, go, man, I failed at that, I failed at that, I failed at that, I, I put this as an idol, this is an idol, this is an idol. And so uh, at the outset, I want us to remember that God is the kind of God who says, I know I know this is a struggle for you. And that doesn't mean that it's not important. Still very important. But our God is one who isn't going to just call off the ceremony every time we mess up. And he is urging us to live in this because he knows it's good for us. Our lives will be so much better, so much more free whenever we do keep him at the top of our list. This isn't about just keeping a law. This isn't about just keeping a rule. God is serious about this rule, but his mercy is more serious. His mercy is more lasting. That's this, this uh, part of this verse can, gets a lot of attention sometimes. It says, uh, I'm a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the parents, the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And we go, what? Is God going to punish my kids for things that I do wrong? It's not the purpose of this. This is a, a Hebrew idiom. It's a figure of speech because the important part is verse 6, showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me. So, so it's a way of God kind of being hyperbolic and saying, yeah, this is serious, and if you don't do this, it's going to have implications for your life, and not just your life, but for your children's lives. If you put anything in my place, but remember this. My love will go to a thousand generations. So don't put that pressure on yourself. Because one idol we can build up in Christianity is the idol of religion. 
as wanting to do all the right things, and we forget that God is a God of mercy and love, and he is teaching us how to give our lives completely to him. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this commandment that can provide us with so much life if we live it. Be with us over the next several weeks as we look at these things and help us to rest in your mercy but take seriously the call to put no other gods before you. Not just for our sake, but for the sake of all those who come with us. We pray these things through the Son and by the Spirit. Amen.